In today's episode of Survival Dispatch News, we're going to be discussing uh, the economic turmoil in China and how it's likely going to lead to a global economic crisis and how each of us as individuals can prepare for that crisis. Hey guys, I've got something here that could potentially save your life or the life of a loved one. It's a Premier Body Armor Panel designed specifically for backpacks. Now, I've been using armor panels in my packs for a while. Most of them have been 10 by 12 panels that are designed for plate carriers. This Premier Panel gives you three more inches of coverage and fits perfectly in my Vertex Gamut bag here. Premier Body Armor Panels are made in the USA and they offer backpack panels for a variety of popular uh, pack manufacturers and they'll also fit in a wide variety of universal backpacks as well, including school book bags for kids. They even have panels specifically designed for sling bags as well, which I'm really excited about. Premier offers both 3A armor and rifle rated backpack panels as well. They come with a five-year warranty and are stab and slash resistant. Check out the complete line of Premier Body Armor at premierbodyarmor.com. On today's episode of Survival Dispatch News, uh, we're going to discuss the uh, economic troubles that China's having, um, why they're in economic trouble, and how that relates to us and what we can do to prepare uh, for China and their economy collapsing, causing a global economic crisis. So uh, first and foremost, um, you know, we have a tremendous reliance on China around the world. And there are many products that are either manufactured exclusively or almost exclusively in China. So if their economy collapses, it will have effects across the entire global economy. Um, so while it's nice to think of us repatriating businesses to America, it looks like uh, China's economy is going to have major problems long before we're able to pull that off. So that begs the question of why is China on the brink of economic collapse? And uh, probably the biggest reason is they have a very overinflated housing market uh, that accounts for 30% of their GDP. So their real estate values are in absolute free fall. Uh, one of the biggest players is Evergrande. Uh, they've been defaulting on loans uh, to the global community uh, for many months now. Um, there's a glut of supply on the market. So you can find multiple uh, videos and reports of people. There's entire cities have been built that are completely empty and there's nobody to move into them. So with uh, the values of that real estate plummeting and keeping in mind that 700 million Chinese people live on $2 US per day, uh, it's not hard to see why things are in pretty bad shape there. There's other reasons. Um, they have a rapidly declining population. So they went from one child per family to three children per family. It's had no effect on the uh, declining population because people simply can't afford to have children. You've got an extreme uh, zero COVID policy that has shut down 74 uh, large cities in China. You have an energy crisis. Uh, they heavily rely on coal and the price of coal has skyrocketed. So at the end of the day, uh, China's stuck in this system where they're overbuilt, uh, over indebted, and they have no way to borrow, uh, you know, or buy its way out of this crisis. So it's only going to get worse. So with all that being said, uh, there's four things uh, that we can do to prepare um, for some 
economic upheaval. Uh, first one would be to uh, build up and store anything that's necessary for us to sustain life. We can prepare for losing our jobs and our income. We can build relation, relationships, pardon me, with a community of like-minded individuals, and we can prepare to protect ourselves. So we'll go back to uh, the first one. We've got uh, Tyler has joined us from Utah. Lane has joined us from Tennessee. And so the first thing that we can do is, is build up and store supplies uh, that are necessary to sustain life. So let's jump in there, guys. Um, let's hear your thoughts, Tyler. I always like to figure out how we got here. And the thing that's going through my mind right now is the Chinese people, um, they didn't have a place to put their retirement. They didn't have like, they have a stock market, but not like we do. And essentially they all started investing in real estate because the government was protecting it. And then it almost turned into like a Ponzi scheme. Um, the real estate creators invested the money they were getting for the things that they should have paid for into future real estate. And it just became this huge explosion, this, this, like you said, there's massive cities without people in there. But if we under, understand supply and demand, if we have all this supply, the demand for it drops and therefore it's of less value. <clears throat> so um, riots happened and now you've got uh, workers that don't create things like these headphones I'm wearing and this computer that I'm wearing and the computer chips that we need for it. And I'm I'm not sure if it's a, a positive thing for us or a negative thing for us because it's going to create a situation where we're going to have to start making our own computer chips and headsets. And in my case, I'm waiting on some axle parts from my oldest Susan Trooper and all this stuff. And I've been waiting for months and all this stuff is affected by it. So um, it kind of brings me back to a conversation I had with my grandpa who was born in 1917 and lived through the Great Depression. He told me when I was a kid, I, I basically said, how do I protect myself against this happening? He, uh, at the time we lived on a ranch and he was talking to me about the skill sets that his grandparents had. So this would be people from the 1800s. <clears throat> so if you can replicate the skills that, that the people from the 1800s had, or you can replicate the skill set that the people who survived the Great Depression had, um, you start looking at what they did. And they did canning. They had backyard gardens. They, uh, my, my grandpa told me to look for government jobs because if the government's gone, then, you know, we're really screwed then. Mm -hmm. And it's part of why I did, in fact, it's a massive reason why I joined the military at 17. So um, I think each person's gonna, situation is gonna be a little bit different and they're gonna have to tailor the skill set or the solution to the problem a little bit differently. So it's really hard for me to say, hey, we all need to do this. When I would individually say, you need to get rid of credit card debt. You need to have a different way to heat your home. You need to have a, uh, a better food storage. You need to have a better water supply because you live in a desert. You need to have a backyard garden. Um, we all can, can mitigate the risk once we identify the risk individually. And each person's individual risk is going to be a little bit different. You guys back there on the East Coast, I don't have flooding problems. I don't have hurricane problems. You know, <clears throat> I laugh when you guys are looking at our blizzards and I'm like, blizzards are a fun time, you know, and there's no school, but there's no hurricane ripping my house down. So my risk mitigation is just warm clothes and firewood. Your risk mitigation 
storm shelters, maybe a boat. Like I'm not 100% sure. So that's kind of where my brain goes is identify the most likely risk and the worst case scenario risk, prepare against that risk, and then the less likely and less worst case scenario things as they happen will be easier to deal with. Well, I, I think at like this stage of the conversation, we're at a level above that. We're not that fine grained. And really, it, like the overarching thing is to become self-reliant. And so to become self-reliant, you need to build up and store certain goods, uh, tools, skills, and so on. Um, I did a, a short list and you guys can critique it and I'll put it in the comment section below. But basically, um, I feel that people should accumulate uh, tools. You know, basically everything they could possibly need from a homesteading perspective, uh, some sort of power generation, um, whether it be solar, uh, gas, diesel, uh, propane power, whatever the case may be, uh, that people need to have uh, storage of water filters and some sort of water filtration storage system, um, a long time way, a uh, long time means to preserve food, you know, like a freeze dryer medicine, first aid kits, learning how to grow food, um, having a means to cook if they don't have power, uh, potentially having livestock. So Lane, since you live in a rural location and, and you have pretty much everything that I've mentioned there, uh, give, give me your thoughts on what are the, the basic uh, supplies and tools and whatnot that you would recommend that people have uh, to prepare for some sort of impending economic turmoil yep so where we are we kind of looked at things a little different and we said okay before we get into power supply stuff let's look at our basics and hand axes shovels basic hand tools that don't require power right so then we escalated mm -hmm. and hey, now we need battery powered tooling and that's just kind of how our men mentality worked is we started very basic first because it's easy and it's less expensive and a lot of people can do that right off the bat you know, you can go to Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever big box store you want to go to and pick up some of your basic supplies, things that will make your life easier in the long run. Um, and then as we go, we just continue to identify weaknesses. You know, we have we have some livestock, but one of the concerns is how do you feed them long term? Mm, valid. Uh, great to have chickens, but you got to have chicken food free range. They get food. But you're going to need to supplement that. How do you, you know, how do you make that food if you can't go to the store and buy it? We do a lot of uh, canning, you know, mason jars, old school. My, my mom taught me how to can many, many, many years ago. And we cans and jars and jars and jars full of, you know, things that we think that we need. Um, rice, beans, you know, dry goods, as well as we can our garden supplies. You know, there again, keeping it basic, grow your own. Um, and so that's how we just begin to, to, uh, identify issues and just knock them out one at a time. Of course we has, we still have weak points. Everybody does, you know, so yeah. finance, that, that's the biggest limiting factor is, you know, uh, preparing costs money. So you, you, you have to, to do it at a pace that you, your, your personal finances are comfortable with. So that dovetails perfectly into the, the second point that we discussed, which is preparing for job loss, um, learning to live uh, without those non-essential items, uh, having a few months worth of cash stacked up, uh, spending less money, maybe doing some side gigs. 
you work for yourself, Lane, uh, you know, round table munitions. I work for myself. If you were to lose your job, you know, what, what would you recommend say the top three things are to do to prepare for job loss? So the, the problem with job loss is debt. If you've got, if you don't have debt, job loss isn't really that big of an issue. It's an issue. I'm not trying to downplay it, but what I'm saying is with job loss comes the loss of your transportation because you owe debt to your vehicle. With job loss comes the loss of future wages because you have credit card debt, or it comes the loss of your home. And in this case, it would be shelter, which forces you to either move in with relatives or get out of that environment to a warmer location because like right here, you're going to freeze to death if you're spending the night outside. So <clears throat> if you identify the things that are the largest amount of debt, and then you sell off the toys to kill the quick debt and find a way to get yourself in a position where you don't have debt, job loss becomes substantially less affecting upon you. Um, I was talking earlier about living in the way our, in my case, my great-grandparents or my great-great-grandparents did. The houses were smaller. They were heated with wood. You could go out to the mountains and collect your own wood. Um, there goes your... If I, if I took the house that I'm in, it's, it's a nice home, objectively. And if I sold it, I could get into a smaller home and probably pay the whole thing off. And I would still want some form of normal heating, right? But I also could wood heat it. Now I can transition from, or or I own some land to the south of me. If we just, and, it, and that land is paid for. If it really got that bad, I could go put a yurt up down there, have a fireplace. And now my shelter and my home's taken care of, and I could have an excess of money financially by transitioning substantially from this really big, nice house to living in a yurt. And I don't think, I think the biggest issue is people can't, they're not willing to make that level of sacrifice. And I think part of that is because they haven't practiced or tried it out. And to be honest, the idea of living in a yurt, not going to work for a while sounds amazing to me. But I also am not afraid because I have this skill set required to farm, to grow animals, to cut firewood. I, that's going back to my childhood. So I, I think job loss, if you look at what it will affect and then mitigate that risk, you've solved your problem. You just have to figure out what level of problem you're dealing with. How much debt do you have? What are you actually <clears throat> struggling against? And then assess that now. And that's a hard thing to do because people don't want to take their standard of living and dial it back a little bit. They don't want to, in my case, I'm a lazy and I eat out too much, right? And if I stop doing that, I'm going to save a lot of money. And then maybe other people's case, I've got a substantial amount of credit card debt. We'll go sell the toys that you bought to create that debt and you can eradicate it, but they don't want to give up the toys, right? Right. So, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it's kind of the first bullet that we threw out there is basically uh, learning to live without non-essential stuff, you know, the stuff you don't need and, uh, you know, driving debt down and driving savings up sort of thing. So uh, the third uh, bucket that we had to prepare for, you know, an impending global economic crisis is to build relationships with a community of like-minded people. Uh, who are focused on self-reliance. Here we are coming back to self-reliance again. Now, I made a comment before we started recording that it's more likely to happen in rural areas than urban areas 
just because of the mindset, you know, people who typically live in, in rural areas and they're already farming and whatnot, they're very uh, focused on the concept of self-reliance. Whereas in the cities, you know, it, it's a dog eat dog type of scenario, but then Lane, you know, brought up an interesting scenario that he faces in the mountains of Tennessee. So Lane, do you want to expand on your comments that you made? Sure. Just to touch back just a little bit. One thing you can do when you, you're talking job loss and this, that, and the other. And of course we're talking about a, 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 a bigger scenario, but one is prepare to barter, have things that uh, you stop that can be bartered. And if you think about it, there are lots of things that people are going to want that, you know, if you have the, the financial ability, you can put those things into your locker, bunker, closet, you know, wherever, and just sit on them and, and have them for bartering. Um, to, to meet your point, um, you know, we live in a, a, a very rural area um, and my neighbors are very few and far between. And, you know, this area happens to be a low income area. I have no idea what some of the other people are doing to prepare. Um, but one thing that concerns me is if things really did get bad and my, my uh, I'll call them neighbors, they're a pretty good ways away, but it if they didn't prepare and they have four or five or 10 kids, you know, cause there's, there's three or four homes that are huddled together. When those kids get hungry, parents and adults will do crazy things to feed their families. Mm -hmm. So that be conscience. Um, you know, I have livestock. You can drive down the road and see that, you know, how do I protect and at what length am I willing to go to protect livestock um, or what I have? in that scenario because hunger drives people to do things that they would never ordinarily do yeah so essentially like somebody driving down your road in the middle of nowhere can see that you know you're farming you know whether it be livestock or gardening um, it probably wouldn't be hard to identify you as a hunter you know seeing you out on four wheelers and whatnot so essentially at the end of the day you're saying you know um you have all these skills, these assets at your disposal, but they're kind of obvious things for other people to potentially come and take. And that's kind of interesting that you phrase it that way, because the fourth point that we had was uh, putting yourself in a situation where you can protect yourself and your family, whether that be, you know, um, any type of self-defense could be with weapons, could be hand-to-hand -hand combat, whatever the case may be, being in decent physical shape. Um, so, just go back to before we started recording your thoughts on, you know, you could have multiple guns and, you know, thousands of rounds of ammo. What happens if, uh, you know, those people in relatively close proximity to you decide we're going to go down to lanes and, and steal some food and, and whatnot? How's that scenario look? Well, I mean, my wife and I live here. Um, there's two of us. Um, I have a couple of firearms. Uh, and I have a few rounds of ammunition. And, you know, if, if 10 or 12 people come into my property or onto my property, they're going to overrun us. It, it's inevitable. You know, you're, you're outgunned. Right. Uh, so I guess when you pick my gun up, it's going to be hot. But, you know, that's where the whole thing with community uh, are really going to come into play because you're going to need like-minded people <clears throat> to protect and help defend and help do the workload 
um, and help with water and wood and, and dishes and cooking and food. You're going to need that community. One or two people alone isn't going to make it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, when things started kicking up with this, uh, you know, COVID stuff, uh, Dr. Michael Fabian, who's a good friend of mine, um, said, you know, if it ever gets to the point where we have to bug out to your property in the Blue Ridge Mountains, he said, uh, you know, he asked if he could be included. We were like, well, absolutely. He's, you know, a hardcore prepper and whatnot, but it would also give us a medical professional. So the this concept of self-reliance that you've just touched on as well, same thing. If you have a, you know, a bunch of people who are not only have the same mindset, but a diverse skill set when it comes to self-reliance, that's pretty much an optimal uh, situation to be in. Um, before we wrap up here, uh, Tyler, could you just give you or give us, pardon me, some quick thoughts on uh, protecting the stuff that preppers, uh, you know, have accumulated, uh, you know, to get their family through an economic crisis? What, what are your thoughts on protecting your food stores and whatnot? So I'm always going to go back to historically, how did they do it, right? Because we know it worked or it didn't work. And let me cover two things. One thing, I've got friends in places like New York. They are welcome to come here if something bad happens. They have got to have a plan. If we, if we go worst case scenario, I'm going to say 9-11, right? Those people, they were on foot because they got there in a taxi or the subway. And now they got to walk back. So their plan needs to include physical fitness, some socks and some shoes, water and a bag and a way to get out, right? Then the next level, their home. How do they get across country? <clears throat> um, they don't own a vehicle. They have to rent a vehicle or something. And if, if uh, ATMs or digital currency is down, you got to have cash. And this starts to sound like the plan that special forces teams use to ingress into uh, areas and egress out of areas. They'll have cash points. They'll have uh, a big wad of physical cash that they can use to barter or, you know, or trade or buy whatever. Cash is king and they'll have a mechanism to do it. If you know that there's going to be a grid down situation, you need cash to pay for it. So you don't have to fight for it. You need a pump to get it out of the ground. Uh, we're talking about fuel. And then you need a location to get, get to it. Then you're going to want to have People that you know, maybe one of my friends in New York, if they would have come to my location, they need to know someone like you so they can get from plan A to plan B and then reassess a little ways and then try it again and get back further. Now, when it comes to protecting stuff, out of sight, out of mind, right? And storage. I really like uh, false walls. I like cold storage. Um, <clears throat> on the ranch we grew up on, we had we just called it the cave, but it was a cold storage that was up the road and up the side of the mountain. They had dug a hole next to a, it was a, a, a water well that was, it was a, a spring coming out of the side of the mountain. And our family had this little cave and we'd keep potatoes in there. My grandma would keep her can jars. And year round, we'd just leave stuff up in the cave. And it wasn't at our physical location. You didn't know where it was unless you went to it and it had a ton of food in it. Now, I don't think that everyone's going to have a cave or access or something, but um, <clears throat> if you do have food storage, don't talk about it. Put it away in a location where, you know, nobody can see it. Uh, make it look like something else or disperse it. Also, don't have it all in one location. Uh, during World War II, I think it was, the Germans would come looking for supplies. They would have the sacrificial supplies. 
Um, they would have the things in their kitchen or maybe a box of something. They're saying, I'm sorry, this is all that we have. And they gave them like a tenth of what they actually had because the rest of it was hidden and they were able to sacrifice a little bit in order to save the remainder amount. Um, uh, that's, yeah, that's a really interesting tactic. And I like your concept of out of sight, out of mind is a great way to to protect your assets and whatnot. So uh, we're running up on uh, the end of today's segment. Uh, appreciate your thoughts on this, Tyler. Always, as always, very unique perspective. Lane, thank you for uh, calling in today and giving us a perspective from uh, you know a very rural location. And uh, we'll take all the notes from today's episode of SDN. We'll put them down below in the, uh, the description. Uh, appreciate if you all uh, give a thumbs up, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll see you soon with the next episode of Survival Dispatch News.